What do you call that noise? What do you call that noise? Andy Partridge and Stu Rowe have been working together since the recording of Monstrance in 2006. Andy then produced Jen Olive's album Warm Robot for his Ape House label in 2009, and then Stu produced Jen's album The Breaks in 2013. Somewhere in between all of that, they laid down a whole series of improvisatory ideas which have lain dormant on hard drives, and now we can hear what they were up to with the release of the Three Club Men EP, which features four tracks that have been chopped up, sampled and rearranged over a ten-year period. My name is Mark Fisher and I'm thrilled to introduce What Do You Call That Noise, the XTC podcast and the final instalment of a trio of interviews. To mark the arrival of Aviatrix, Race Car, Green Green Grasshopper and Look at Those Stars, the podcast has temporarily turned from monthly to weekly. Two weeks ago we heard Stu Rowe saying... With Andy off, I've been, actually been in the room where he'll grab a guitar and he's, you know his mind's working so fast. It's hard to keep up. Last week we heard Jen Olive saying... The central thrill of Andy is his use of all the notes in a particular octave or three or four. Andy uses everything. His, like we talked about pink thing, that melody, give me a break. That melody is crazy. It uses so many notes. And this week, I'm naturally delighted to welcome back Andy Partridge to this podcast. (laughs) And that is coming up in just a moment. But first, it's time for our monthly spot in which you, the listeners, entertain us with your XDC-inspired songs. Since the start of the year, we've heard great, great music from John Bicknell, Warren Butson, Christopher Underwood, Jeff Nicholson and Joel Bell. And last week, we heard Mark Sandra of Cone of Silence with Richard Nixon. It's the turn of Mario Rodriguez Centeno from La Junta, which Mario describes as a post-punk proggy band from Spain. And here is Mario to introduce Mudeja. What do you call that noise? Hola, amigos de What Do You Call That Noise? And hello, Mark. Uh, My name is Mario. I'm the singer and double bass player in uh, the Spanish uh, post-punk band from Andalusia called La Junta. Uh, kind of like Junta, but spelled with a V to tell ourselves apart from the local government, uh, which has the same name. So yeah, uh, we're from Jerez, where sherry wine and flamenco come from. Uh, And I think Jerez is pretty much the Swindon of Spain. There's a connection between England and my hometown since the, the Industrial Revolution turned us into the wine giants that we are now, and the English brought us the machines. And that's why we have brandy names like Garvey's, Terry, and Osborne, but also why we're obsessed with dressing like English landowners and looking down on our own language and culture. Uh, There's also the blue tile industry in Seville, which is nearby and produces luxury tiles for the British aristocracy. There must be really old buildings in England featuring some of those. So there's a connection between our cultures. Also, my small town beat the capital city, Madrid, to the railway punch, being the second town in Spain to have a train line. And that transformed it completely from a small town to a then industrial powerhouse, and now back to a decadent backwater, sadly. I wonder what Andy would think of that connection uh, to Swindon. 
So Mudejar is our latest single and it's about losing and finding one's own identity, the cultural inferiority complex, embracing your own roots, all that. Uh, because much like ecstasy, we're mocked for the Swindon accent, us Andalusians have a hard time being taken seriously by fellow Spaniards, being the Spanish Texas and all that. It's a love letter to the railway station facade, uh, which has a unique 19th century style where English red bricks meet Andalusian blue tiles and Arabic archways. It's really unique. Uh, so the song is kind of like Towers of London in that respect. Uh, it's the same kind of theme, uh, although it doesn't sound, I think, like XTC, I think. Sorry for the long bit, uh, and I forgot to say the, that the song is in Spanish, but I don't think that's uh, keeping any uh, pro-rock fans from enjoying it anyway. Uh, yeah, feel free to follow us, um, and thank you for having us. stuff thank you very much mario rodriguez centeno and you can find more if you do a search for la junta uh, online and that's spelt j v n t a so not the expected u j v n t a la junta um and if you're a musician and you've written something inspired by xdc in some way i'd love to hear from you it doesn't have to sound like xdc it could do it might not uh, but just as long as it's got some connection and if you've got something that fits the bill just get in touch with me at mark at xdclimelight.com now of course it's my time to shout 
out to the very, very wonderful supporters on Patreon whose donations keep the XTC podcast running and you in listening pleasure. It'd be great if you'd like to join them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher and you can choose the level of support you'd like to give. If you choose to be a knight in shining karma, it's um, your chance to get your name read out at the end of each episode. And if you have an appetite for even more XTC, remember you can buy your copy of What Do You Call That Noise? An XTC Discovery Book at xtclimelight.com. Right, we've had the story so far from Stu Rowe and Jen Olive. Let's turn to Andy Partridge. Andy, welcome back to the podcast. It's always a delight to hear from you. One thing I was thinking about, particularly with you and and the three club men, is that something that you've said before is that, uh, and you were saying this in relation to my failed songwriting career, is that you see yourself as a, as a band member rather than as a solo musician. And I was wondering whether this is a good example of you as a band member, because there are equal contributions all around. Well, the thing is, I don't think of the Three Clubmen as a band. Ah, well, that's another answer, yeah. It's a project. It's, you know, we're not going to be jumping in a van and touring around working men's clubs and stuff saying, here we are, folks, you know. Uh, it, it's a project. It's a, it was an improvisational project that we just threw so much stuff at it that Stu would keep saying, "Yeah, I've been looking at this stuff we've been recording. We we've got to release it. We've got to release it." I was playing it to a friend, and he was saying, "Oh God, you got to get this out. You got to get this out." And so it was a case of um, it was sort of like a secret improvisation project um, that became kind of songs that became inevitable that we release so i don't think of it as a band you know we're not sat around saying what sort of uniform are we going to have we can have like collars where they're cut off and you know do we all have the same hairdo haha um so i i don't think of it as a band in a kind of classic sense it's a project yeah remarkably Stu and you do have the same haircut yeah well, <laughs> yeah nearly jen too she shaved her head a few times as well but yeah, so it's not a band, but it is a collaboration, and it is it isn't you saying, "Hey, I am Andy Partridge, and these are my mates." It's a it's a three way thing. Yeah, but it you know XTC was largely a a three or four way thing, and it was you know it wasn't me saying you'll do this and you'll wear this and you'll mm-hmm. say this. It was yeah, you know it was it was democratic, and uh, but that's that is sort of my point. It's that you're that even though you are the songwriter or you wear the songwriter in XTC or the key songwriter that you've always thought of yourself as a, as a, as one of the team, not as a kind of, yeah. Yeah. Mentally, David Bowie standing out. Yeah. No, mentally, I don't like to be the grand poobah saying you do it like this or, or you're out. I've never said that to anyone. You know, there, there's a misconception online and I saw something the other day, which I shouldn't have seen. Because it's one of those things where oh, if you go eavesdropping about yourself, you won't hear any good, you know. And they were going on about, oh, Andy fired Barry, Andy fired Terry, Andy fired Dave, and, and Andy fired Colin eventually. Ha, ha, ha. No, I never sacked anyone from the band. They all left because they wanted to do something different. They wanted to be somewhere different. They wanted to do a different project. It's, it's not me saying, you will do this. It is mine way or the highway. It was there was none of that. It, it you know that that upsets me that people have that concept. Uh, nobody was sacked. Nobody, you know, Barry Andrews wanted to do his own music and his own band. Okay, he left. Bye bye. Was nice knowing you. You know, uh, Terry Chambers was told he had to go and live in Australia, so he had to go and live in Australia. It's 
you know, okay, we can't really stop that. You know, we're we're not married to Terry. We're not Terry's child. You know, we can't. It's it's not an emotional hold like that. So, you know, and then Dave was just, I think, a bit fed up with getting farther and farther away from guitars, uh, and um, and left when it all got a little bit too orchestral. So nobody's been sacked, and I'm not the sacker. And you are also a collaborator and um, and again we've seen that with my failed songwriter career but in the I mean when I I was talking to Stu about this and he said well one thing about playing with other musicians is it's just good fun <laughs> oh it is good fun it's, yeah it's better than being on your own see I miss it I mean I'm always saying to Erica look I really miss having a band and having somebody who can I can take the ideas to and they can interpret it you know Oh, I think it should go like this. Oh, I'll tell you what you need. You need this, or you need these keys, or this guitar, or you need a little choir here, or whatever you need, you know? And uh, I, I miss that personally. Um, so it the Club Men project was was nice to to fire things out and then have other people say, Well, I've got an idea, it might be better than that. Try this, you know, and that that's that's wonderful. It seems to me when I listen to those songs, the, the the four songs on the EP, is I can sort of hear everybody's co- contribution, but it's all fitting in very, very snugly. It doesn't feel like anybody has been forced out or anybody's voice is dominating anybody else's voice. feels like it's a real three-way contribution. Did it feel like that to you as you were creating them? Yeah, it, it doesn't. Uh, you don't record anything thinking, hmm. I wonder if Jen's going to like this, or I wonder if Stu's going to chop this bit out, or, you know, it all gets, we just throw stuff at it. And if somebody likes a bit of it and responds to it, you know, Stu will call me up and say, hey, you know that when we got together the other day and we, we, we just ran through da 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 da. I really like that bit that, and I'll send it to you. But this bit you did here, I really like that. I think we should use that and work on that for the second section of the number or whatever. So it's kind of um, this weird, congealing, evolving, slow motion songwriting, or or is it songwriting? Because yeah, I guess it is songwriting because there's there's vocals on most of it, so that makes it a song. Um, but we don't, uh, we, we throw stuff and then see what, what, what stuck. Um, I mean, for example, with Aviatrix, I had this idea, uh, that I, I went down to Stu's one afternoon and I've got a, I've got here, I, one I made earlier. Uh, and I just had this, this, uh, this lovely little idea for, for a melody that reminded me of Mama's Little Baby Loves Shortening Bread. And it and it was um Mama's little baby love short name short name, Mama's little baby love short name really. You know, that it was that little melody. So we recorded it at uh, you know, a set sort of tempo where okay, here's a click, you know, click, 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 click. Boom, dun, 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 dun. Then we said, you know what, this is quite nice. Let's send it to Jen. But it's oh dear, what if it's the wrong key for her to sing in? Well, okay, we'll we'll record it in another key as well. So we rec- that was in A, so we recorded it in B. Mm, what if that's still too low? Why don't we try C as well? And uh, I think we recorded it in eight different keys or more, and we couldn't decide which one was going to work best. And um, we came up with the idea that we'd 
we okay, we have to pick a key. So I think we picked the starting it in the A section. But what we did was with all the other takes in different keys, we faded up slowly other keys. So it, instead of going change to another key here and change to another key there, what it does is it it strangely crosses over and it's in two keys simultaneously. Then it seems to clear into another key. Then a third key will crossfade slowly and oh, it's like fog clearing and oh, I'm in a purple room, and then the fog comes in again. Oh, I'm in a green room. Oh, and so it, instead of, um, you know, deciding which chords to jump to, we 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 cross-faded them. So it uh, it made this, this strange musical indecision, which we all found really attractive. And also not sort of possible without studio technology. And it's, it's like it, 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 the way it's great is entirely based on the idea of, loops and repetitions and yeah i mean you could do it building bit by bit you could do it live if you had like eight or ten different guitarists all yeah sort of slowly quietly quietly playing their key and then getting louder and the other one getting quieter but uh yeah you have to have a mixing desk to be able to do that kind of thing mm -hmm. now i made the mistake of thinking that that the bit that you've just played was something that Jen had come up with because it sounds so like the kind of loops and 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 uh repetitions right, that she right. puts on warm robot and and yeah exactly uh, no no it was totally like I said I just had this idea that afternoon of oh I just stumbled into that oh it sounds like shortening bread oh I really like that because I really like shortening bread because <laughs> I, I think I think mechanic dancing is based on shortening bread as well oh yeah well, West Beauty, Factory Bow, Armena, they must go. Da, 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 da. Obviously, deeply affected by that song as a kid. And uh, hang on, the door is the door is going. Hello. Okay. Hi. Okay. Bye. Um, so it's a little bit of verite for you. you <laughs> At home with the partridges. At home, yeah. If only I had a, a little. Diplodocus that then romped in, and I could give it a bone. You know, <laughs> eat, eat the eat the only mammal we can find. Let's change evolution. Yeah, it's so I, I think I was deeply affected by by shortening bread as a kid. It went in there very deep. It's it's come out at least twice that I know. Of. It's the, um, uh, the uh, and then we got the uh, dun, 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 dun. you know that's it's 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 shortening bread. I've no idea how old that song is, Shortening Bread. Uh, yeah, it's, it kind of feels like it should be traditional, doesn't it? But it could be yeah, at any point yeah. in the 20th trad, century. Trad. Trad R. Yeah. Trad A double R. I wrote a lot of songs, that guy. Yeah, Mr. Trad R. Good old Trad. <laughs> I don't think you've written in that way before, have you? Is it is it unique to this project? I've not written in this, this way of, um, you know, people firing ideas with no expectations uh i mean the four songs that are coming out god i i think there's maybe a, a another dozen laying around on computers that we thought oh, okay well let's come back to those these these ones seem to be coming near the top quicker or 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 stronger or whatever so we'll work on these i mean when we check out uh what else is laying there there may be some other goodies there that have, we've We've just passed by because we started this not as a not as a set project, but we started this kind of hobby quite a while ago. It, is it weird that these have been 
lying around for 10 years or did they need 10 years to gestate? Is it weird? Yeah, it's a bit weird. But then if music's good, it doesn't have an age on it. Mm-hmm. I, I've been really getting into 30s and 40s music a lot lately. And and I don't feel it's old fashioned. I just feel it's great music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm way past that thing. Of, oh, I got to have this week's music and nothing else will do. Oh, that's so last week. Oh, that uh, that doesn't interest me. That's just for morons. So 30s and 40s music that you've been listening to, is that kind of Tin Pan Alley stuff or what, what kind of um, genre? I guess mostly you'd call it jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, jazz, even blues. Um, in the last couple of weeks, for some reason, I've been playing a lot of blues and um, and even a more modern interpretation of the blues, like I'm rediscovering uh, um, the 60s Fleetwood Mac all over again for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just that uh, that that tremolo, Danny Kerwin's tremolo. What a what a wonderful sound. And like you say with with shortening bread, that you there's a there's a tendency to assume that that music began in with Elvis in the 1955 or something, uh, but then you hear what you've just played actually that you know I would never have made a connection between go to and and trad. <laughs> uh, oh no, and, it's the music. Just it's it's like water. It flows everywhere. It flows through the the cracks everywhere and, and like water can always get through. I think music can always get through. Mm-hmm. If you don't st- stop up every, every little, you know, nook and cranny and, Oh no, no music's going to ever get in. It will, it'll come through the, the bird song or the, the howling of creatures or people passing by yelling at themselves or whatever in a, a drunken fury. You you can't stop music. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you you can't also assume that people from one generation were better or worse than another generation. No, they're not. They're not. No, I'd, I'd say every generation is has got fantastic music, and um, well, about five percent of it is fantastic. The other ninety five percent is just padding. But you you find that in all art forms. Ninety five percent of books are padding. Ninety percent of popular music is padding. Ninety-five percent of opera is padding. Ninety-five percent of sculpture is is padding. You know, five percent of it will be really wonderful, real genius stuff, really high quality. This is going to last forever. But you know, most of it is um, that. That's just the sparkling froth borne up on the top of the mass of the ninety-five percent. Yeah, and I think that I agree with you. It's inevitable. I think it just has to be. I remember working for a magazine where uh, books would come. It was when book, books still came in the post; they went sent digitally, and you know all of these books would come to the books editor. And you thought nobody's got time to even begin to read them, never mind discover whether they're any good or not. And they can't possibly be. You know, these books are not going to sell any any because there are too many of them, and they can't all be good. And probably they're very bad. But as you say, five percent will float to the top, and they'll be yeah, they'll be yeah. discovered. I think. Yeah, I think so. And and sometimes part of that 5% is artificially hyped and pushed uh, to the top. Uh, but I think the years will calm that down. People will say, why did we go crazy for this thing? Whatever it is, music, book, whatever it is. Why did we go crazy for this 10 years ago or 20 years ago? When all said and done, this is actually shite. <laughs> 
And and I think there is a, a certain leveling process, but about 5% will be wonderful. Well, and talking about that 5%, I would include Jen Olive in the 5%, but nobody's heard of her. Oh, man. <laughs> she Sing is, the praises of Jen Olive to me. <laughs> she is a ferocious talent. Just her grasp on, her grasp on timing alone. Like she feels things in different timings to me. I'm, when all said and done, I'm a little bit of a corny old groove meister. And uh, she can skate over the top of, of uh, the tempo and the, the meter. You know, she hears things in, in unusual meters. And uh, she can, she can, she feels totally uh, at home with that, apparently. I mean, she wrote a song, Stu edited that more or less the first time I met Stu, he said, This, this monstrance thing you're doing, can I have some of it to, to edit and play with? Yeah, sure, you know. And so he edited a little tiny piece. It was very strange piece he took because we worked out it was in a, a timing of 15 and normally things are counted in fours or if you're Austrian from Vienna, they're counted in threes. If you're Dave Brubeck, they're counted in fives, but, um, uh, or unsquare dance, I think was seven, but, uh, no, it, most things are in fours and he chopped up this little piece that looped around in 15. And it was like, wow, that's so unusual. He sent it to Jen and she actually came back with some song ideas perfectly tailored to this, this piece of music with 15 beats in it. And I thought that was so unusual. It was really inspiring. So we, we had to sort of take it apart and rebuild it under her vocal ideas, uh, rebuilt it so that we could, mix it properly you know it wasn't just a set piece of stereo we could say oh we'd, we'd like that guitar louder or that guitar on that side or whatever it was we'd like to add a tambourine there or whatever the, the thing you want to do with it so we had to rebuild this strange 15 beat piece of music uh, and it's it's come out as uh, uh, one of the numbers on the uh, the three clubman ep is is called race car Race car sounds to me like you're doing a bit of beef art in there as well. That, that those choppy guitars. I think I am. Yeah. Uh, it it uh, it was just like as I say, it was just a a loop of um, one of the pieces from Monstrance. I think it was called Chain Gang on Monstrance. Um, but he he locked this piece out that was 15 beats long, which I'm sure that's standard thing in Indian music. That's the sort of stuff they go for. You know? But Jen said, because I, I was talking to Jen about working with you, and she said that whereas other A&R men and producers and whatever she'd worked with, uh, you know, were saying, oh, you've got too many notes. What do you do? When, when she presented her stuff to you and also to Stu later, the two of you just kind of said, yeah, that's interesting. We'll just go for that. There was something about your yeah. musical landscape and worldview that fits with with hers. Well, I, I just think she, she's very talented. I mean, she's her, her like I say, her grasp of the way things flow over the top of a certain rhythm. Like, you know, somebody normal, inverted commas, you know, here's their, and they may sing like that, but you give that to Jen and she may sing like that. And it comes back a totally different feel. And you think, that is great. I, why didn't I hear it like that? Why didn't I hear it wrong like that? 
because wrong is so much more thrilling. Yeah, yeah. And how did it feel when, because of that nature of the collaboration, you'd do something, she'd do something, Stuart do something, and you'd be batting it back and forth when you got to hear the bits that she'd filled in that you'd left yeah. her to do? Well, it, it, does, it, does, it doesn't always work, you know. <laughs> like I say, some of it's like, hmm, don't know if I'm liking that. Uh, and, and then other things that come back and go, whoa, that is genius. That Where did that come from, you know? So... It's it's hit and miss, but that's the same with all improvised music. Mm-hmm. Great improvisers like Can, for example, German band Can. Um, I forget what they said their 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 rate would be, but you know they they'd improvise for three or four hours, and they'd take twenty minutes of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's the same with with Miles Davis's uh, bands from the late sixties onwards. They they do three or four hours and then they, they might get 10 to 20 minutes out of that, which they can put on record. And it's, uh, you're just picking the best of the best. And mm. it means that to find the gold nuggets, there's an awful, awful lot of soil you've got to shovel away. And do you think there's a certain sort of personality that means in, in the case of the three club men, that the three of you, I can only presume that the three of you have got a similar attitude that you're you're going to say yes, not no. <laughs> you're going to say, oh, let's try this rather than be censorious and say, oh, no, that's not working. Let's just ditch that and do it straight or whatever. Um, well, I mean, I, I I don't see us all climbing into one big bed, but I I, <laughs> I do think we have the the thing where if somebody has an idea, okay, let's hear it. Let's try it. I think you'd be stupid to to say anything else. You know, that was also the thing with XTC. If somebody had an idea, it'd be, okay, let's hear it. Let's try it. And sometimes it'd be a lot better than the one you had in your head. You think, oh, we're going for that. That's made the song a lot better. That's really improved that, or that's really improved that section. That's really improved the feel, the whole the whole thing of it, you know, whatever the idea was. Um, and and I think to to do otherwise is, is insane. You may as just as well be a one-man band and not listen to anyone else and not take on any any more suggestions you have to be open and uh, you have to be open to things that you couldn't have grasped or not grasped you couldn't have come up with in the first place somebody else might come up with them and like in the world of comedy improvisation the the technique is to say yes and rather than no <laughs> because if i yeah, well, if you say no you're just shutting you're just shutting it down there. and it's i imagine there's a sort of similar thing there that you can't you, that even if somebody comes up with a terrible idea you can build on a terrible idea but if they come up with no idea at all because they're scared of you then then exactly. you're not going to get anywhere yeah. yeah i i don't think there's any such thing as a terrible idea i think you can almost use anything you know, you, no matter how crap it is, you can, you know, if you get enough shit in a in a pile, you can make a statue out of it. One of the things I'm th- I think about the these four songs, which I love, by the way, um, on the Three Club Men EP, is they fit very well together as an EP, so that you've got the sort of brashness of race car, but you've also got the m- melody of Look at These Stars, and uh, you know, if they fit very well together as a as a foursome. But I think that's that's a good aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice little collection. Yeah. I, I I want Stu to dig out all of the recordings. I I said to him, look, just send me everything that we've we've got in that box, and who knows, there may be another EP, there maybe even an album. I, I 
there's 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 loads of stuff there. So you're not ruling out that possibility that could still happen. It could still happen once we get digging through and having a look. We've just kind of tended to look at the the ones that eat, you know, each of us have got a favorite and maybe one joint favorite. So we've looked at those, but there may be others there that we can, I'll tell you what, if we cut that bit out, is is what nobody's liking that bit. And we try that piece in there. It's in a different key, but oh, you know what? We could, we could do this with it and make it work, you know? And so I, uh, open to everything. Yeah. Yeah. All gates open. I think was William Burroughs phrase. Uh, well, I'd be excited to hear more of that. And I'm the thing that I think is also interesting in terms of the stuff that I've heard you do, including my failed songwriting career, is I've, I don't think I've ever heard you effectively do a duet so that you'll do one verse and then then Jen will come in with a chorus. You know, that's a very unusual world for you to be in. Isn't right. It? You well, well you've got to remember that, that, I mean, things like Green Green Grasshopper, it was just uh, an idea I had about singing or telling a grasshopper to take to take this to somebody, take this message to somebody, and uh, and she came back. She didn't continue that. She came back with almost a contrary opinion of that. If you read her lyric, it's not argumentative, but it's sort of contrary to, like I'm really bugging her, or this grasshopper is bugging her and stay away from me and then it's it's a but it, it worked the whole thing works it's, yeah. it's contrary but it works it's uh and and i don't think that what she came up with is specifically a chorus or a it's just another part it's another panel in the costume you've put on you know oh look i didn't look at it below the waist that's that's nice color i didn't see <laughs> it going, didn't see it going like that you know and that must be nice for you because it isn't something that you've really done quite like that before i suppose you've done it musically but not not really with vocals in that way the, 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 no no it's nice to, it's nice to send a piece of a song to somebody and then it comes back with a, a totally different viewpoint on where she thinks it might go or can you use this piece or try this chunk or you know i improvise this can you do anything with it mm -hmm. And that's what we do. I'll improvise things and send them over or send them down to Stu or I'll go down to Stu's place. Stu's studio, which is <laughs> not a it's not a song by Genesis. Um, and uh we'll we'll just batter ideas about. But we do kind of quite a lot of that anyway. It's good fun. And would would it be the case if you'd, you know, if you'd have written a song in that kind of standard songwriter way would you be more precious and and, and worried that somebody was coming on and adding a, a bit that you hadn't expected or was contrary yeah to some to some extent i mean if i'm writing songs for other people and i've done quite a lot of that in the last x amount of months so there's an ep on the horizon with chris braid uh, oh, yeah. an english songwriter who lived in la for for a while now he's back in london and uh, there's five or six tracks on an EP uh, coming out with him. There's about half a dozen numbers on uh, an album with Steve Conti, New York guitarist, mm -hmm. who was a one-time New York doll um, and uh, has his own career. And, and so there's all sorts of stuff kind of threatening to, to come out there. But if, if I'm writing with or for other people, it, there's usually a, a a set 
choice of rails to go down. Okay, we're going, you know, I would really like a song that would arrive at this junction. And so you you aim for that junction. But with the clubmen, there is no aiming for anything. We just take the train off the track and just go somewhere. Yeah. There's yeah. no expectation of looking for for a set anything. It uh and like I say, that with improvisation, it doesn't always work. But when it does, it seems, hmm, well, how did we find that? I think when I talk about collaboration, it feels that's what I mean. I think when I, it just that those four songs just sound like all all three of you contributing. They don't sound like one or other of you. They just sound like this is the only noise that these three people could make collectively. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not well, a, I mean, there's different people bring different things. Stu Stu likes a lot of. Uh, of kind of dubby and slow. Um, oh, how shall I say? I mean, he comes from a background of Future Sound of London and and the kind of uh, uh, that sort of Bristol dubby sort of sound. Um, so he tends to think in that way, uh, and he's also got like a real um, monk way of thinking about keyboard playing or a, a, a dub reggae thing about bass playing. So that those are some of the things he brings to the table. Jen can, can bring almost a 1940s or 50s kind of swing band style of harmonizing to things. And you think, wow, would have never thought of that working in there, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm not sure what I bring. Uh, I think it'd be freaky if I realized what it was. I, <laughs> may stop me functioning altogether you know <laughs> but uh, yeah so it's a it's a nice it does seem to work these ingredients do make an interesting stew mm -hmm. and and part of that interesting stew is the just the vocal quality that you and jen bring but your voices just sound nice together and she told me the story that you'd mixed down one of her vocals to make it and, and she thought it was you singing along but it was actually hers that, that you'd reduced i think maybe this was on um uh the first album you did with her but um that that you you know you just reduced a song but a, a recording by an octave which which it kind of made her think did i sing that or was that andy singing that or whatever but your voices oh, sound based your voices I, sound well together yeah. I remember doing that and I and I didn't know her enough at the time to say well I'll just I think that needs a low octave I'll just sing that because I didn't want to be singing her on, on her album without kind of permission I didn't mm -hmm. want to mm -hmm. storm in as a you need a deep voice there you know so I so I electronically made it an octave lower with hers and she seemed to like it and in retrospect maybe oh, damn it I could have just sung that yeah know? yeah but it works, so yeah. whatever works, whatever works. And 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 on this EP, it works that your voices go well together. I, it, it's not you're not coming from completely different worlds. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I, I her voice is when she tracks up her voice and does these very kind of like I say, almost swing band, honey kind of arrangement ideas. I I feel like I should be on stage with a big megaphone introducing her. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know. <laughs> da -dun, da -dun. I think the question I was sort of angling at earlier was was like in terms of personality and and um just preference aesthetic preference that it seems 
to me anyway, that the three of you have, have got something in common so that you can work together, isn't it? You couldn't just choose any three musicians and imagine that you would be able to go down this route and produce this this thing. No, maybe, maybe, maybe the um the chemicals are just sympathetic. Um is chemicals, is that the word I need? No, maybe not. Yeah, that, chemicals will do for now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the chemicals are sympathetic in us that uh I think we're all just allowing of of whatever they want to try. Just try it. Sure, it may be completely wrong. Try it. You know, the idea of recording a song in eight to ten different keys simultaneously seems insane. But we made something happen out of it. Yeah, yeah. And if we hadn't have tried it, we wouldn't have discovered that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking back when you first heard Jen's music when she just sent you a cassette or something in the post when you were setting up your record label. That must have felt like a, a very fortuitous discovery so early on in, in in what you were doing then. Yeah, I just I just knew this person has got something that I've never quite heard before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the world needs to hear this. I mean, it's, it strikes me that she's like she's not like Bjork and she's not like Kate Bush, but she's like them in the sense that she has um uh, uh, uh she just goes in the direction that she wants to go. She's yeah, not it, she's it's, not asking it, permission. It's that that really valuable thing, uniqueness. Yeah, you know that's much more valuable. I think that's that's uh, forget the gold standard. We should be trading in uniqueness again musically. That she was saying that, that surely that's the thing that people want. <laughs> that's the thing that you know listeners really want. And although they're, I'm yeah, just going to quote Funk Paparoldi, You know, they're force fed this other stuff yeah. that they want. But well, you know, it it is what listeners want. They don't know it's what they want, but it's what they want. They want uniqueness, but the the listener usually doesn't know that. But when they're exposed to it, they can get into it. And and record companies and uh, and people in the puppet masters, shall we say, um, they never know it's it's uniqueness that's required. They always think, oh, we've got to have the new mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, last week mm-mm, was selling loads of records, music, download, streaming. Uh, we need a new mm-mm this week. And they want to base it all on the same pattern, the same, the same template. And I, I, I think that's really wrong think. I think it should be let's find as many different things as we can find. That's where the five percent magic stuff lay, but not the ninety-five percent that it's just a, a carbon copy of last week's thing. Yeah, and what one of I, I think it's through doing the podcast and and talking more to you and people to listening to people like Stephen Wilson and so on. The more I'm realizing that people who are successful musicians don't allow themselves to be contained by expectations and they like you you were just saying that you'll listen to 30s and 40s music and then something from the 60s and then a bit of jazz and then a bit of this um and 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 even you know even in the the late 1970s when there was an expectation that you had to be a bit punky and a bit new wave-ish you were not you were you were still absorbing all of these other and and regurgitating all of these other influences and that seems to be true of of all of all, all of you as an XCC as a band, but also all of the people that uh, you've collaborated with as well. They've got their ears open to the world. Yeah. Well, I I don't know if there's any any true thing as originality. I think what it is is you're always 
the product of all of your all of the things you've seen, heard, read, eaten, done, you know, all of your sensory input from from the age of, uh, of minus nine months onwards. Um, and the 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 fact that what if you try and get out your own thing or your your raw material is going to be this sensory input from then, but you're going to get it out and it's going to come out wrong. And that is the nearest we can have to originality is, is wrong other stuff, wrong sensory input from back then, you know. And that puts me in mind about when you're collaborating with other people and you just gave two examples of it, uh, that in a way you're being asked to do the right thing. <laughs> you're being able to say, Let, let's, let's create music that fits this this pattern is is that is that true to say with other people or with well, well when you're writing with other, or for other people well usually usually when you write with or for other people they're they're usually asking you for a type of thing yeah this art you know either their their manager will talk to you or their publisher or their record label or whatever it's usually not the artists them, themselves um they're living in the rarefied atmosphere, darling. They're they're being born aloft on a, a raft of caviar. Um, you know, they'll say my artist wants a song that sounds a bit like mm -mm -mm, mixed with nana, but with a dash of da 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 in it. Okay, okay, and then you go away and you try and build this Frankenstein's monster, and nine times or ninety nine times out of a hundred, it'll be no, they didn't like it. You know, I, I've I've been asked to, you know, I got I got asked to write some stuff for um <laughs> I'll damn it, I'll say his name, um for Liam Gallagher. Oh um, yeah. You know, he he um oh can he can you the, the the publisher was asking me, can you make it a bit like da 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 with a with a dash of George Harrison in it with a dash of da 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 in it, you know. And I came up with half a dozen ideas and no, it was uh, it was all fucking shite. So <laughs> you know, but in that process, you you end up writing a lot of songs, and you've got to think those songs are okay, or else you'd never bring them up and want your name on them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you're not you. I would never bring up anything that I would feel disgraced by. But at the same time, they're not the songs that you would have written for yourself. If you see what I mean. Um, no, because you're you're playing dress up. You're. Yeah. you're at a masked ball someone else is throwing a masked ball you have to use very tiny masks when you do that uh, <laughs> someone else is, is throwing a masked ball and they said uh, the theme is jungle party or the theme is vampire night out or whatever it is and so you you are dressing to appear at their masked ball either as a jungle theme or a vampire theme or whatever it is and um, you try and do your darndest, and hopefully they will say, that's just right, I'm going to do that. But uh, it, it frequently doesn't work, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to my list of other things that need to be need to be discussed. You have a re-release of Go To about to, to come out on, on Thick Final. Uh, yes, Go To is, um, or, or what was Barry Andrews' pr previous suggestion, Strong and Silent what he wanted to call the album and he wanted to put a post box on the front mm -hmm. um you know pillar box so it was strong and silent, silent. 
Yeah. <clears throat> but for some reason, nobody clicked with that. It's not a bad idea, actually. But It's strong, but it's not silent. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I still wanted to, I think, second album in, we've got to hang on to a certain musical thread. We've got to hang on to a certain visual thread. Maybe by album three, that can start to change and open up. You know, I sort of had a long-term strategy planned. And, but, um, yeah, so GoTo is is coming out or is out and um, has the Go Plus uh, vinyl EP with it. If you get the vinyl version, it's a, it's a gatefold pack with, uh, with Go Plus which is nice to hear in all its mangled glory. There are different strands of the re-release thing where, and we'll come on to one of them in a moment, but sometimes the uh, the, these, the difference is that it, you've remastered it, I think, is that correct? And you're, yeah. it's on heavy vinyl. It's on a, on a heavier sort of vinyl. Yeah, yeah, it's on a 200-gram vinyl. Uh, remastered. I don't know if it could be remixed because... All remixing for us is done by Stephen Wilson these days, and he's purely digital. And the effects making up Go Plus are all analog. They're different speeds of tape. They're analog boxes that do certain effects, some of them impossible to kind of uh, approach with digital Um layered things which i'm not sure i guess we could do some of those layered things it uh it would be very difficult to remix it and get it to sound the same or approaching the same mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which was something that that john lecky and i uh, a couple of years back actually just before just before lockdown john lecky and i were asked to appear at the south bank uh you know the what's it theater on the south bank what's that called the concretey one, uh, the festival hall. Festival or, hall, yeah, yeah that. Yeah. Uh, this this chap who I can't remember his name. He was a, totally obsessed with um, take away law of salvage and go plus. Mm-hmm. And he wanted us to make it live on stage. Oh, wow! Uh, and I said, well, you can't because it it was improvised and. You know, again, with improvisation, we only kept the stuff that worked. And it's not a performance art. You know, you just see two shadow figures on stage, (laughs) you know, moving their hands on faders and hitting the occasional button. It is not a, it would make a completely a thousand percent naff live performance, you know. And and naff, that's naff as in, uh, it's a little bit of Polari, that. It's N-A-F-F. Oh, not available for fucking. <laughs> so what do you think to her? Oh, naff love, naff. <laughs> That's what it meant. Not, a, yeah, not available. Um, but this, so John Leckie and I, you know, this chap, we all went out to lunch and this chap went off to the toilet and John Leckie and I said, look, this is not going to happen, is it? This is not, it's, it's going to be crap, isn't it? If we're just in the shadows, it's just going, oh, looking to say, oh, no, it doesn't sound anything like that. Oh, no, that doesn't sound <laughs> like it either, you know. So we, we said no. No, yes, probably advisedly, although it's a fascinating idea to think that it it's might a be. Fascinating idea, even, yeah, to even think about it. Yeah, we, we couldn't get near it, you know. Yeah. And um, is GoTo sounding good? Oh, it sounds lovely. It sounds. Uh, it has. It has a certain sound. It had a sound of where John Leckie was as an engineer and a producer at that point. 
and it it sounds a little narrower than our later recordings but that's the sound of that's the sound of us at that time we were still you know the treble brothers <laughs> and uh, everything barked and drilled your ears you know as john leckie will tell you in interviews once once barry clicked on that treble boost on the piano and the distortion on the piano it's like oh <laughs> you know but he had to beat my guitar out, so that was it. You know, it was an arms race: the left <laughs> side of the stage versus the right side of the stage. Which one is going to create the the nuclear holocaust? You know, the sonic <laughs> holocaust. Oh, no, it sounds good. It's it sounds uh, it sounds as as good as it's ever going to be. I think. And 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 for skeptics, do you think it does make a difference to have it on heavy vinyl? Yeah, it just it's you know. Damn it, vinyl still sounds better. If if vinyl is a hundred percent of the sound, then CD is something like twenty-five percent of the sound. Seventy-five percent of the sound is of, of any taped sound is missing when you put it onto digital format. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can get you can you can get higher percentage with with higher uh, rates of you know if you have it on ninety kilohertz, that's that's going to be uh getting a bit closer to analog sound or if you have you know 120 odd kilohertz that's going to be a bit closer again but still nothing quite has got that tape to to vinyl mm-hmm. uh, this is all the sound there is none missing you know mm-hmm. and heavier vinyl versus cheapy thin vinyl um yeah we we, we never want to go near that um I used to work in a in a Bon Marche record store when the Hot Tuna vinyl was released. I remember that, and somebody said, "Oh, that's an offshoot of Jefferson Airplane." Oh, really? But all I knew is when you took the disc out of the card sleeve, it literally hung over your hand. <laughs> it was that thin. It was like a flexi disc. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of Flexi Pop magazine that I dutifully bought yeah. to get. Uh, well, Im- imagine imagine albums yeah. of that. You know, that's that's what. Uh, God, what was the label? Was it RCA? Can't remember whether it was RCA or Warner. I think one of those two. But you know, I remember taking this Hot Tuna album out of the out of the thick card sleeve in the store, thinking, "Oh, that's a very thick card sleeve. I wonder why that's thicker than normal." Well, it was because it was this sort of handful of liquid <laughs> inside that was that was an album, you know. Couldn't get it any thinner. And then, I guess, finally, on the subject of audio quality, we've got the Big Express, which has had um, one airing that that Stephen Wilson did to to test it out, and is I think being released in the autumn. So we'll I'll do further podcast perhaps podcasts about that but a slight surprise to find the big express at all that being released yeah it's shocking i didn't go to the um the pitch black playback uh dave gregory went to that and did um a sort of q a type thing with um with steven and uh who else went along to that oh pete phipps the original drummer on that record and in fact the drummer on most of mama as well I went to to Stephen's house to hear his studio at his house, and I must say my head felt like a pedal bin and somebody had stepped on my (laughs) tongue and the top of my head opened up. It was like, wow, where am I? What universe am I in? It was quite something. 
my first Atmos mix that I'd yes, I'd be very interested to hear what that what any any for any album I've just never hear, heard an Atmos thing. No. So be well, with five one, it's all around you, but with Atmos, it's under you and above you as well. It's really. Mm-hmm. 360 degree what is it uh 13 speakers or something something like that 13 channels of mm-hmm. of, of output and uh yeah literally the pe- the pedal bin thing the top of my head lifted up and it was like whoa brain is getting blown away like dust you know it was quite an experience for an album that's often thought of as quite dense um, I, th- I think what he's done is is give it a bit of space and a bit of air and uh, allow you here. To- yeah, I, do, I don't think of these things as dense. I think of them as just detailed. Mm-hmm. But you can hear the detail better than in this. In his, you know, would you would you take some some big oil paintings and say, oh, too dense, too dense, <laughs> too much, too stuff. many people in it, too many people. Yes, there's too many people because it's a fucking battle scene. <laughs> you know, you don't have a battle scene with two people in it. <laughs> You know, uh, or oh, it's too dense. It's too dense. Yes, it's a hundred ships coming out of Portsmouth Harbour or whatever. You know, it's it's called detail, folks. And all this thing about too dense that really pisses me off. If you don't like it, skip the track. Don't buy the album. Skip the album. <laughs> you know this this thing of uh, wow. I don't know where that where that came. A, a, a certain producer was being interviewed. And said, you know, Andy's mixes were too dense. No, they're not too dense. It's called detail. But Stephen Wilson is good on detail, and he's good on letting you hear the detail. Yeah, no, he uh, he he would uh, he did um, you know usually two or three different revisions. He'd send me one one mix, and I'd hear it in stereo, and I'd say, oh, tell you what, can we just tweak that that bit down, that bit up a bit? You know what, that instrument could go out there a little farther on the right and because he's got no precious ego he'll do whatever you require which is fantastic i wish all mixers were like this you know and uh, it'd come back and he'd, he'd usually get it in two or three passes and it i then inevitably think to myself you know what this is this is better than the original stereo i can't wait for this to be made three-dimensional you know so I, I didn't hear it in three dimensions and, until I got to his home studio. Yeah, that was quite an event. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll definitely get you back on the podcast for for that. But in the meantime, thank you very much, Andy Partridge, for everything, <laughs> for being Andy Partridge, for being a, a club man, and uh, for all of those other stuff. Oh, actually, that's one more question I should have asked you: is uh, are, are the are the are the more and another and another and another thing? Uh, my failed songwriting career is the more of that to come. No, this is an odd one to finish on because that has been put in the on the high shelf for a while. Right. Um, it's not selling as quickly and as well as we thought. So it's a case of ah, fuck you then. I'll I'll hang on until <laughs> until I until things are right. A doubly failing record career. Not only did you fail it the first time, you failed it the second time as well. Yeah, my doubly failed record career. You know, people have asked me, oh, I think you should make an album or several albums of it, and I don't want it to be an album. I I love the EP format. I really do. But pressing up EPs on vinyl is very expensive, as expensive as an album. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. So but you with much, much smaller margins. I'm kind of sick of losing money here. So um, I may do something in the future, but there are an awful lot of songs from the potential failed songwriting career. And 
like I say, I, I wouldn't want to put them out if I wasn't proud of them. I'm proud of them. But it's just I've got to find the right the right vehicle for putting them out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You see, albums are kind of too important, and everyone says, so is this the solo album? What's this the obsession with the solo album? I, I don't want no, – nothing I've ever made has been a solo album. You know, Powers wasn't a solo album. It's an album. Takeaway, Law of Selvage was not a solo album. It was an album because I was the only one interested enough to turn up and, and make this dub thing with John Leckie. You know, it was my it was my excitement at the time. I, I wanted to do that. No, nobody else in the band was particularly interested in that sort of technique, you know. Yeah, and and also as you were saying before, that uh these are not the songs you would have written in no. if you were writing them as a solo album. No, no, exactly. I don't even know if I have any personality of my own left over the years. I, I, I may agree with with something that Graham Coxon said years ago, and and I, I've often thought that this as well that there may be uh, an, a finite amount of music inside any musician, and I don't know whether I've got it all out. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm kind of down to scraping at the back of my knees now. So <laughs> there may be a little bit more left in the calves and the ankles. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this. Because uh, I'm getting on in years now. I'm coming up to 70, for goodness sakes. You know? In my head, I'm more, I feel more like I'm seven. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm coming up to 70. And this, you, you start getting a different perspective on things. You think, ah, none of this is important. Music is like perfume. It's just you spray it in the air and you go, hmm, that's nice. And you get some nice thoughts of, of things that are happening simultaneously. And that's if you smell that spray in the air again, it takes you back to, oh, yeah, that was the day I had some some peach pie or whatever it was. You know, that was the day I met that beautiful woman, you know, and music is is a very much like perfume. But the, maybe the the atomizer is is getting a bit low down there. <laughs> just need to shake it a little bit. To... Yeah, shake it a bit <laughs> to pee in it and see if I can rejuvenate. <laughs> and on that bombshell, <laughs> on that bombshell, folks. <laughs> um, from my perspective, it's like how you define your musicality, isn't it? Because it's like well, there's one thing about having something to say intellectually or emotionally or whatever but there's that isn't to say that you're not capable or not still clearly because you still are <laughs> writing songs doing music whatever but it's just for it it has a different sort of um weight behind it doesn't it, it has a different weight it has a different weight when you're 15 it has a different weight weight when you're 25 35 45 55 65 and like i said i'm scraping 70 now so it, it has a, a, a the coin has a different value mentally, mm-hmm. spiritually, soulfully, whatever you want to say. What do you call that noise? Well, well, well. Thank you very much again to Andy Partridge, as well as Duro, as well as Jen Olive in our previous episodes. And thank you, of course, for listening. And thank you for supporting the podcast, and especially those of you who've supported the podcast at, at any level on Patreon. And, and you can join those people at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. And these are the Knights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, John Bicknell, Kevin Burt, Lorenzo Chachi, Kale Corbett, Liam 
Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Jeff Farris, Leslie Gooch, Mike Grafe, Robert Graham, Stephen Hope, Alan Hughes, Marek Krauss, Jesper Kumberg, Robert Lawlor, Dennis LeCourier, Liz Lynch, Marie Meikle, Youssef Murrah, Karen Neal, Jeff Nicholson, Amy Parkinson, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slatome, Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, and Martin Whitley. And great to have all of you on board. And uh, I'll be back with another fantastic What Do You Call That Noise? an XTC podcast. <laughs>